You can be seated. Thanks, Joy team, for stepping in. Hannah's one of the about 80 ladies at the women's retreat, so um, they did a great job. Thank you for sharing your heart and leading us in worship. So my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, so glad that you've started off the year with us as we continue our series entitled Core, with the idea of core values. What, what is it that moves us and motivates us and guides us as a church community? Each one of you, as as an individual and as a family, you have core values, and so maybe as a family, one of your core values is you want your kids to graduate school. You want them to get out of the house. You want them to launch, right? So that's a core value. And here at Second, some of our core values, the first one Natalie taught on is that the Word of God is important. The Bible is important. That's foundational for life. And so she talked about reaping, that we, as we sow into God's Word, that we can reap from that. And then last week we talked about this idea of grace with the notion of no perfect people allowed. What does it look like for a church community that is grace-centric? and built around grace, and that we can all come here and, and do life together in our messiness, and we're all allowed. However, as I said, the, the very last thing, it says, but we can't stay there. We can't stop and just be a place where everyone's received. But as we experience grace, true grace, there should actually be movement. We should be able to move forward and grow and mature as we understand who God is and how much he loves us and cares for us. There's a movement toward him. And uh, there's growth in that. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8 and Romans chapter 6 here in just a few moments. So open those up and dig into that. No perfect people are allowed, but you can't just stay there. You have to continue to grow. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, I, Paul, planted the seeds in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. In other words, as we grow in our relationship with Christ, God is the one that's moving us. He's the one that leans into us, and we respond to him or not respond to him. So if we choose to not respond, then there won't be growth. But if we choose to respond, then God and us together in those moments, we're submitting our lives, we're submitting our hearts, we're submitting our agenda to him, and in that, there begins to have growth. As we align our hearts and minds and souls with him, there's growth and movement toward him, but that's God does that. God's the motivator and the bringer of that in conjunction with us. Then also in John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says it this way, yes, I am the vine, this is Jesus is the vine, and you as followers of Jesus are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. So this is this relationship thing. Again, as as we submit to the vine, as we submit to the Father, there's growth that happens. And there's this, this covenant that happens in there. So fruit is happening because of the fact that the vine is giving us the nutrients to grow and to produce fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So in other words, again, that, that we have to be attached to and tied to the vine, to Jesus and to God the Father through the submission of, hey, there's this relationship piece and this is going back and forth. And, and there are moments in the covenant where we can say, God, I don't want to be a part of this. You're, you're pushing me. You're pulling me in some ways that I don't understand. I don't want to be a part of. And we can literally kind of push pause on what God wants to do in our life. And this is that stuff that Jesus is talking about and Paul talks about as well. How many of you love math? All right, three of you and all of you are CPAs. That's good. So uh, it's tax time. So I'm going to give you some formulas, some math formulas that I want you to grasp. So you can, this should be in your notes. If not, make it. Here's the first thing. Church plus do this minus don't do that equals behavior modification. 
church plus do this minus don't do that equals behavior modification. In other words, there's this thing, if you're around church long enough, if you're around around religious people long enough, you will gather this idea that if I I can do certain things or I need to do certain things, and so in a New Testament church, some of the things we talk about are read your Bible, pray, come to church, get in a group, go on a mission trip, all those different things, do some of these things, and then we have a tendency if we're around long enough that we think if we just check these boxes off, then growth happens. We begin to talk like Christians, begin to look like Christians, and people see us and they think, oh, they're Christians, they go to church on Sunday. And then we also say, hey, don't do this. And so, you know, if you've been around a a Baptist church long enough, you know what you're not supposed to do, right? And so all that stuff, and so before you know it, you have behavior that's been modified, and there's not been heart transformation. And so the difference is when we grow into a community of grace and live in a community of grace, and there's authentic spiritual community, then transformation happens in the heart. Because in a place of grace, in a place where there's authentic spiritual community, we begin to allow ourselves to take off our masks, to take off our costumes, to take off the things that make us Christian, that we've modified behavior, and we begin to live in the freedom of what it means to live together in grace and to live together into community, and we begin to grow because we understand that we're already accepted in Christ. We don't have to pretend anymore. We don't have to put on masks. We don't have to put on costumes. So I can find some people in a grace-filled community to do life with that I no longer have to hide anymore. And when I don't have to hide anymore, then that's where grace resides. And in that grace, then growth happens. Because in that grace, there's reproof, there's discipline, there's love, there's challenge, there's those moments where you're one degree off course that a friend can put their arm around side of you and pull you in and say, hey, we're off course, let's get back on course together. So grace plus authentic spiritual community equals heart and life transformation. But here's the deal. Here's what I wholeheartedly believe. We want to be known, but we don't truly want to be known. And so we struggle with this. This idea of grace and authentic spiritual community means that whenever I begin doing life with someone on the level that I've removed my mask and I've removed the costumes, I've removed the things that I've put around me to protect me, to give my life value, and I'm truly just me in front of other people, that's scary. Because we want not to be judged. We want not to be rejected. We want not to all the different things that are there. But in true, authentic community with a grace-based, life and heart transformation takes place because we can be our true selves in that moment. We need to keep growing. That's where maturity begins to happen. Because, I mean, we know what maturity looks like, right? I mean, a baby comes out, and mom and dad take care of everything. They try to figure out, is this a cry that's for hunger? Is this a cry for hurt? Is this a cry for sleep? And based upon those communications, we change the diaper, we feed them. But hopefully, when a child gets to, like, 14 or 15, they're not using the same basis of communication and still need to be taken care of by their parents because they're growing up. And so hopefully whenever your kids are 22, 23, 24, 25, they're, they're launching out of the house because they've matured to a level where they can do some things on their own, like literally feed themselves and pay the bills. Am I right? And so the same is true in our spiritual life. 
That at that first moment that we come and we say yes to Jesus, yes, we're going to be like little babes. There's so much we don't know, and others are going to have to help feed us and share into us. And, and, and so these Sunday morning messages are extremely important to your spiritual life. But as you mature and as you grow, at some point you should be able to learn and you should be learning how to study God's Word so that you can feed and eat for yourself. Because if you just eat on Sunday morning, you're going to be starving by next week. And let's be honest, not all of us make it every week. So if you go two weeks or three weeks, you're going to be famished. It's just not enough. And so as you grow and mature, you're going to need to learn how to. You're going to have to have some people come alongside of you and say, hey, here's how we can study God's word so we can grow and mature in that. What does it mean to to look mature? If you have your Bibles, look at Romans chapter 8. And here Paul gives us an idea, a picture of what it means to flesh out our faith in maturity. Verse 1 of chapter 8. So now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No masks. No costumes. You're accepted as you are in Christ Jesus. So that moment that you say yes to Jesus because of what he did on the cross for you, he now, God the Father, now looks upon you and sees you in all of your messiness and no condemnation, no judgment is passed upon you because now he sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ. For what Jesus had done, you're located in him and there's no condemnation. So he sees all of the messiness. But he sees the future glory of you in heaven because of what you have done, said yes to Jesus, because of what Jesus has done. And so now there's no condemnation. And you can live in and flesh out this idea of messiness. This is the receiving of grace. So there's no condemnation. You're accepted as you are in Christ Jesus. And you can begin to live out and understand what it means to fully live in grace. Look at verse 2. And because you belong to him... The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. In other words, those things that tie you down, those things that you continue to be tied down to, and you think, I want victory over, I don't want to do this, I don't want this in my life, you have the freedom to do it, but you are choosing to go back to them. That you are choosing to go back to them because you either know them or you're comfortable with them or you don't know how to. And so you don't understand that you have freedom. And so the truth is, is you don't understand that you have have received no condemnation anymore in Christ. And you think that, hey, listen, I've received grace for salvation, but there's some things in my life that are so bad or so difficult or so messy or so far from that God could never deal with these things. And so we kind of hide them. We kind of keep them back here. And so we're constantly dealing with guilt. We're constantly dealing with, with struggles of the flesh because we haven't understood that we are totally naked and vulnerable and there should be no condemnation, but we think there's some things that we can hide from God because they're too messy for him. And so we continue to drag them around and we continue to struggle with them. Instead of really understanding the truth is, if there's no condemnation and we're accepted as we completely are, then God receives all of your junk. And he already sees it. And it's already vulnerable. Then just totally, we need to step back and say, God, here's my garage sale of my junk. Peer through it. I'm not going to pretend to hide these things from you anymore because you truly already know me. I'm just pretending for other people, and I am tired of pretending for other people. There's no condemnation, and you have the freedom and the power to say yes to life 
and no to these things that you've been hiding from God. You don't have to hold on to those things anymore. Verse 3, the law of Moses was unable to save us from the weakness of our sinful culture. As a matter of fact, Paul and Jesus talk about this, that the law, actually the main point of the law was to point out the fact that we could not and would never be perfect. And so verse 3 just kind of reminds us of that, that the law can't save us. It just points out the fact that we are messed up people that can never reach perfection. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. In other words, this is the greatest miracle, one of the greatest miracles ever. God took on human flesh. He removed himself from glory and perfection and all that what heaven is that we can't even completely grasp and placed himself in human form amongst our mess and walked among us. And in that body... God declared an end to sense control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So that Jesus took on our flesh, experienced all the things we experienced, the temptations and all that, and completed his life journey without sin. And therefore his death upon the cross was sufficient to cover over our mess. That's why there's no condemnation. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done and us saying yes to him. There's no condemnation because of Jesus. because And so now we can say, God, here's my garage sale of junk. I don't receive condemnation anymore. This is all Jesus. It's not even mine. Jesus has taken it upon himself. If Jesus' death wasn't sufficient to take all of your sin, then it wasn't sufficient for any of your sin. You understand that? So that stuff that you're holding onto that you think that God can't handle, he's already handled. You're just struggling with the belief of God. Do you still judge me? Do you still hold these things against me? He's saying, no, listen, I already understood that. I already saw it. Even the things that you were hiding and you thought you were hiding from me, they were in full view of me, and I still said yes to your junk. The difficult thing is we've never been received by anybody else like that. And we surely don't do that to anyone else. And so it's fleshing this out and believing I can truly live free? Yes. There's no condemnation. Verse 4. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied, sufficiently satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. This is this deal of as we grow and mature, and we spend more time in God's Word, We hear his voice. We get to know his voice. Even the the small differences in the voice. One of the interesting things as a parent is sometimes your kids' voices sound like your spouse. Have you ever ever had that? And so you kind of, you have to sit and actually listen to hear the distinctiveness. So there's times that my daughter Lauren sounds like Becky. Scary because I'm like, what? But you have to sit and you have to listen and to distinguish to know that that is who that is and what they're saying and why they're asking. And the same is true for us in our walk with Jesus, that the longer that we're with him, the more distinctly and more clearly we can hear his voice and exactly what he's asking and the tone in which he's asking by spending time with him and hearing his voice over and over and over again. You'll be able to know his voice even in the midst of the chaos. You can hear distinctly what he's saying. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. 
But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. That as we grow and mature, we begin to learn to understand that we need to retrain and to untrain our hearts and our minds to the things of God. Grace is this. There's no need to hide because God's judgment has been satisfied. Okay, listen. Grace is this. No need to hide anymore because God's judgment has been satisfied. There's no condemnation for us anymore. That's, that's grace. Here's another part of grace. There's no need to hide anymore. There's no hiding because God has already accepted me as I am. I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to put on masks. I don't have to put on certain clothes. I don't have to put on certain things to smell good. This, this is not a dating thing. See, we think we're still dating God. God's already married us. He has to put up with all of our stuff. And he's in a covenant with us. He's not leaving us. He may turn over and look at us and go, man, that's nasty. He may have a stinky breath sometimes, but in this marriage covenant with God has accepted us and he is not running away from us. He's accepted us as I am. We are growing. We're going to be asking some questions of ourselves. And here's one question, I think. When we're growing and and we're doing life in circles, here's a question we're asking ourselves and of others. What if I keep living life as I'm living it right now? What if I keep living life as I'm living life? Am, Am I experiencing all that God has for me if I keep living just like I'm living right now? Or is there something else that God has for me and God wants from me? We need to retrain our minds and our appetites. And we won't do that if we don't ask that question of, if I keep living like this, am am I going to experience all that there should for me? Now listen, life is about relationships. One of the very reasons that God created the universe, he created us, is so that we could have relationship with him and him with us and us with other people. So life is about relationships. And so that's why the beauty of doing life in circles and not in rows is extremely important because as we gather together in circles, we're doing life and we're doing relationships. So when you gather into a place like on Sunday morning or we're sitting in rows, those are good things. You're hearing God's word. You're worshiping together, and that's a good thing. But deeper life growth and heart transformation takes place in circles. Imagine when you gather around a dinner table, you're around, usually in a circular type thing and, and you're talking and you're eating and you're having conversation with one another. You're fleshing out the news of the day. You're talking about life and all that. So as you gather together in a life group or a couple of people gathering over coffee, you're talking about and you're fleshing out faith. And there's something that happens even on a deeper level, heart transformation level, as you're in there fleshing this out and asking questions of one another. So the relationships that we need for a dynamic, thriving spiritual life is one. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 and following, it says that Jesus was asked the question, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So there's three relationships right there. Love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. And then the other one, in John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus tells us, hey, we are to love each other as a church community so well that, one, people look at us and say, wow, I want to be a part of that community. And also it shows that we are disciples, that we are followers of Jesus by the way that we love each other. And sometimes churches are known for how they don't love each other. And people run away from that. But what does it look like for us in those relationships, our relationship with God. 
That's the foundation for how we treat other people. Our relationship here impacts our relationships here. Our vertical relationship with God impacts our horizontal relationships with people, our relationships with our neighbors. That's one of the ways that God says, hey, listen, if you want to find out and ask the question, how are you doing at loving God? God says, how are you doing at loving your neighbor? There's this this movement from there's a lot less of us and them to a lot more of us. Because our neighbors begin to look like us when we begin to see with God's eyes and with Jesus' eyes, we begin to weep over everyone because everyone has mess and we need to be jumping in to the mess with our neighbors. Also, our relationship with ourselves. One of the reasons I think that mental health uh, is beginning, is continuing to grow and we're struggling with it is we don't really love ourselves very well. And it's because we are stuck in this mindset of we're condemned and we struggle with being judged and judgment and we're trying to we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, and so we're buying masks as fast as we can buy. We're buying costumes as fast as we can. We're buying bigger houses and cars, and we're doing all these things in the pursuit of loving ourselves, and in the pursuit of loving ourselves, we've forgotten that God already loves us. And so we're seeking something that's already provided, but we've just forgotten it or don't fully believe it. And then also our relationship with the church community. That as we do life together, as we love each other, people look at that, as we take care of each other and, and, and do things for each other, that people go, man, I want to have some friends. I want to have some people that truly know me and love me in spite of me. That the deepest longing of our hearts is to be known. Is to be known. But what do we run from in church most of the time? Being known. You know, the last thing that most of us, when we get involved in a church organization, one of the last things we do is, is get into a smaller group because we're going to get known. We might find out a little about it. And so why? Because sometimes we've been rejected. We've been, trust has been broken. There's reasons why, but to do church community, grace plus authentic spiritual community equals life transformation. We're running from the very thing we need the most. So what are some things we can do when we circle up? And we get together. Here's a couple of questions, a couple of thoughts. One is accept and encourage each other as often as possible. So as you get together in your life group, as you get together with some guys that are followers, ladies that are followers of Christ, as you're telling your story, you kind of go, accept one another and encourage. Hey, I've been there. Or, hey, I'm going to walk with you through this. Or, hey, how can I help you through this? There's, again, not a place of condemnation, but a place of acceptance and a place of grace. Another one. Ask questions often, but give advice only with permission. Now, this is one that I'm still being trained on because I'm married. Okay? And so I'm a fixer. And so there's a lot of times where Becky's like, hey, I want to tell you about something. And she's learned now to tell me, look, I just need you to listen. I don't need you to solve it. I don't need you to fix me. I don't need you to do whatever. I just need you to sit and listen and to hear me and to know where I'm at so that you can at least know where I'm at and join me. And that's what more of us need to do with one another is so many times we're talking and we hear something, we think, oh, man, I can fix that. Or, man, I can help you with that. Or, man, and in reality, what they're saying is, like, just just join with me in my story and not fix me. Just just be with me in it. And so that and so that is the the principle that I want you to grasp this morning is, listen, as we do life together, that there's moments where people are going to share stories. Just listen and don't fix. Now, there may come a moment where the Spirit comes on and says, hey, I need to, can I share this with you? And sure, yeah, if they say yes, then yes. Here's some of the questions you can ask each other. What do you think God is trying to do in your life right now? 
what do you think God is trying to do in your life right now? That's, that's a great question to ask people that you're doing life with. Another one, what one relationship area, relationship with God, your relationship with your neighbor, yourself, church, what's one relationship area you need to focus in on right now that you need to kind of pay attention to in, in adulting and maturing and grow in that area? Then also, what is one thing you will do this week to allow God to grow you in this area? What's one thing you're going to do? You've already said, hey, this is an area I need to grow. What's one area that you're going to take some intentional steps to do that? So you know, maybe, hey, I need to open up God's Word and, and spend some quiet time. I need to pray. I need to go to church more often. Whatever that is, to do some of those things. Also, another one, give reproof only when necessary. But there's going to come times where you're doing life with people, and there's going to, you're going to know that you know that you know that, hey, you need to put your arm around someone and say, hey, listen, I love you, and because I love you, let's talk about this. And that they may be one degree or two degree or three degrees off, and so as you lovingly, we're going to turn together and we're going to walk together in the direction that God wants from us. And it, that's something that only happens in relationship, that only happens when you've done life with someone for a long time, that they will trust you that you're, as you put your arm around them and you talk about some deep things of life and there's correction happening, that you together can walk and correct and move in the place so that you both together are moving and walking toward Jesus and into that and not into a place of condemnation and judgment. Because that's what we fear, that's what we think most of the times is going to happen with correction and reproof. But this is also a notion of maturity. When you're mature, you have people in your life that can tell you the truth. That they can say to you, hey, Chris, this is something you that's not correct in your life, or these are some things you're struggling with, or I notice I, I want to help speak truth into you so that you can get corrected and that we receive it. Now, it may hurt. It may hurt your pride. It may not be something you want to hear. But if, you, as an adult, we receive it, begin to think about how can we apply it, and it changes us and moves us. You see it in athletes all the time. You see it in musicians all the time. A musician that wants to get better, what do they do? They go to a teacher and a coach, and they're constantly being corrected and criticized. And when they receive that correction and they act upon it, then they become a better guitar player. They become a better vocalist because they hear that the intention of the teacher's voice is is that they want to see them grow and become better at what they're doing. The same is true for us is that there's times that we need to submit ourselves to some people that love us and care for us, and they're coaching us, and they're moving us toward Jesus. And yes, it may hurt. It may take some, and man, you know, I used to play the guitar for a little bit, and I was horrible. Okay, so my coach actually gave me great advice, quit. Okay, my band teacher said, walk by the band hall and go straight to the gym. Like, get away from these things. And so there are times, and it hurt, because I thought, man, I am good. Like, I'm the next coming of John Lennon. You know what I mean? You ever feel like that? And then if someone says, no, you are not. Some of us, we need to, people are telling us, no, you need to stop. You need to step away from some friendships. You need to step away from some things, and you're thinking, I got this. And you don't. Correction is good. Finally, condemn never. Protect confidentiality always. In other words, good friends can tell you their deepest, darkest mess and know that you're a vault. Not only do they know that there's not going to be condemnation, but they know that you're going to walk away. And it's literally as far as from the east as from the west. They're not going to think about it anymore. It's gone. They can't pass it on because they've forgotten it. That's what true friendship is. That in those moments 
where you can share some of those deep, dark things that it has gone. Now, listen, some of you, you have a spirit of gossip, and you need to tell people, I can't, I can't receive this because I will gossip it. That's a part of you growing and maturing. And you need to be able to be wise enough to know who you can share with. Because some of you have been hurt by people that you thought you were friends, but they have a spirit of gossip or they're not mature enough to handle your stuff. They're still in with their own things, that they're, and they haven't received and understand what it means to live life without condemnation. They don't understand what grace is, and so they're going to put you down so they can lift themselves up. Because here's the deal, Romans 6. This is what we want. Life change happens best in circles, not rows, because of Romans chapter 6. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires anymore. The way that that happens is someone knows you. You've received grace. There's no condemnation. People know you. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely over to God, for you were once dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin no longer masters you. Right? If, if you. If you don't have to wear masks, if you don't have to wear costumes, it doesn't master you anymore. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. You don't have to pretend to do church. You are a follower in Jesus. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Fully known and accepted. Just as you are. That's the beauty of grace. And as we understand grace and we get into some friendships where we do circles together and begin to delve into some stuff, growth begins to happen. And you begin to understand there's no condemnation on me other than what I place and what I allow others to place on me. But in God's eyes, in Christ, I am free from this stuff. And now I'm going to live in it. And I'm going to find a couple of people that want to live in it with me, that know me and know my stuff. So that I can grow and experience what it means to have freedom, true freedom in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, this is tough stuff. Father, we all want to be known, but we don't want to be not known. Father, I pray you would give us, each one of us in this place, just a heart of saying, God, I want to know you, and I want you, I want to know what a life without condemnation is. I want to experience living under your grace, what it really looks like. Father, I'm tired of wearing masks, I'm tired of wearing costumes, I'm tired of doing things and buying things and trying to make myself look a certain thing or a certain level or whatever that is that I'm pursuing that I'm trying to find worth and value from others instead of worth and value from you and you alone. Father, will you give me belief where there's unbelief still in my heart? The belief that there truly is no condemnation in you. A belief that grace is covers all of my sins, all of my messiness, even the stuff that I don't know if I will ever be able to tell even the closest of friends that you can know it and still accept me as I am. Father, I pray that as we leave this place this morning, that every person knows that grace and that love. It's in your 